My name is John Huggins. I'm the chaplain at Berry College, and uh, Brian asked me to fill in for him today preaching. I appreciate uh, all 15 of you coming out this morning for, for worship. Actually, there's more, more than that. Uh, I am the older brother of the guy who was leading and singing earlier. We didn't really mean for it to be like that. But since the two of us have come, I thought I'd invite my sister up as well to give us a, a testimony. Is Gretchen here? Oh, she left. Oh, she, she, she must have sensed this was going to happen. Don't want the Huggins to die from overexposure here. Uh, this is the fourth day of Christmas. So happy fourth day of Christmas to you. If there are any children left in here, remind your parents of that. Say, if there's something you didn't get yet uh, from your gifts, you can say, hey, it's still Christmas time. There's maybe even some sweet deals going on at the, at the mall or the toy store. Uh, and this is also a special day liturgically. Uh, December the 28th is uh, the, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And this has been a date uh, remembered in the church since about the 5th century. Um, so December 25th is the Feast of the Holy Nativity. The 26th is the Feast of St. Stephen, which honors uh, the first Christian martyr. <clears throat> The 27th is the Feast of St. John, the Apostle and Evangelist. And then today's the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And what it remembers or recalls is the death of the children that Herod killed in Bethlehem near the time of Jesus. And it's a a very sobering sort of feast um, because it reminds us that the world Jesus came into uh, was not a fairy tale. And when we talk about the incarnation, we're not talking about something uh, imaginary, but it gives us a very real picture of the darkness and the pain of the world into which Jesus came, of injustice and suffering. It reminds us that life can be really brutal. Have you ever read the story um, in the Gospels where this happens, where Herod sins to slaughter all of these children? Jesus narrowly escapes and think, what about those families? What about them? How terrible for them was Jesus' arrival. Their lives were given for the newborn Savior. What are we to make of that? And it shows us that this is what humans do with the world. This is what humans do when we're in charge of the world. When someone threatens our power, we murder. That kind of having a service today that remembers the Feast of the Holy Innocents reminds us uh, that this is a world that needed the hope, peace, joy, and love that Jesus was going to bring. We were not a world that was doing fairly well on our own and just needed a little bit of guidance, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of self-help. No, we could not fix ourselves or this world we could not heal redeem or rule ourselves and we still can't just imagine if god left everything to us if we were left to ourselves what would we do we possess the ability to destroy life on planet earth right now and we would probably use it we will not make progress we will die. <clears throat> hey, thanks. Very kind of you. That's a good man right there. That's a good man. Mm. 
well, we still can't. And so God enters in to the picture. God comes to the rescue, and God still comes. <clears throat> Let me pray with me for just a moment. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe and understand. And may every person in here be refreshed with a sense of your presence today. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Brian referred to this earlier, just the, the hardships of this past year. If you think just about 2014, in many ways, it's, I mean, I'm sure there have been worse years, but this one certainly <clears throat> makes a run for it. Everything from Boko Haram to ISIS and the Taliban, <clears throat> racism and violence, Ebola, <clears throat> civil wars, things happening in Africa, Russia, and Israel, continued moral confusion and degradation in our own society. <clears throat> we still have a world full of darkness and pain, chaos and suffering that needs for Jesus to bring hope, peace, joy, and love to us. Christmas is about that. Christmas is about proclaiming and declaring that that has come. But as we uh, know and as the Bible proclaims, those things are only found in Jesus, only found in God's second self, Jesus himself. We can't acquire them. We can't achieve them. For all of our technological and medical progress, we aren't better people. <clears throat> we can't fix ourselves. And so God comes to the rescue. I want to think back. Okay, <clears throat> when I was thinking about the murder of the holy innocents, I was also thinking about the massacre in Pakistan a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> and... Um, seeing how we're still doing this. We still do this. Uh, we still are sacrificing our children, killing our children, killing children who seem like a threat to us, <clears throat> a threat to our autonomy or a threat to our perspective and worldview. They st we still offer them <clears throat> as a sacrifice. And how messed up this is. So Jesus comes to offer himself. Let's think back in our Bible uh, in biblical history, to another time that was perilous for God's people. Another time when there was oppression and the massacre of children. And I'm talking about the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh has uh, uh, committed their children to massacre. And in their darkness and loss, they cry out to God for help. And I want to begin this morning by reading the passage in Exodus chapter 3, where God comes to the rescue, comes to answer their prayers. <clears throat> so this is the passage where God calls Moses. Um, <clears throat> there's a, before I read this, you know, some of you may have seen the, the movie Exodus that's out right now, um, which I saw and wasted my money on, actually. And uh, I thought, thought it was pretty uh, lame, honestly, a kind of crummy story, uh, uninspiring. It certainly takes all the inspiring elements out of the biblical narrative and really misses the point. <clears throat> now, I'm sure there are people who will try to say, well, there's this, you know, good point, or this is portrayed nicely in there. And that may be true, uh, but it's really a two and a half hour waste of time, if you ask me. And in, and in many ways, this event, which is portrayed in the movie, is uh, partially portrayed as a hallucination. Or at least it's suggested that it could have been hallucinated after Moses bumps his head in the movie, uh, which is not how the biblical story works. <clears throat> and none of these words that I'm about to read are mentioned in the story, and they really are the point, the heart of the matter. <clears throat> so it's a, listen to this passage as I read it aloud. 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, I want you to notice, especially this section. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says to him, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. It's the word of God. Notice the way that uh, God talks about his response to his people's affliction here. It says in the text that God has seen the, the affliction. Notice the verbs used. He has seen their affliction. He has heard their cry. He knows their suffering. This declares that God, is, the God we worship and celebrate here this morning, is one who sees, hears, and knows. Whatever your situation, whatever your predicament, whatever your concern, whether it's for these major events in the world that we've talked about, or the ones going on under your own roof, or the one going on between your ears, it says that God sees. God hears your cry, knows their suffering. And what does he do in response? He says, so I have come. He's going to do something about it. In this case, he says to Moses, I'm going to send you as my representative. And there's a whole sermon there, but I'll do that one on another, another time. And when Moses objects and is unsure about this, like, what? Well, how can I go and do such an unbelievable thing? That's an impossible thing. The only response he needs, and the one that makes all the difference, is God says, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. It doesn't matter what the Egyptians have, the size of their army or their power. If I'm with you, then this is not an impossible task. We can do this. That is the promise that made all the difference, did it not, in the story and it makes all the difference still. And this is the theme I want to focus on this morning. The idea that 
God is with us, which is what we think about and proclaim at Christmas time, and it's what God told Moses all those years ago. I will be with you. Now, the book of Exodus, Exodus continues a trajectory through the Old Testament that eventually leads to the work of, in the person of Jesus. But the theme of God being with people in a special way is one that goes throughout the Old Testament. I want to share with you several passages, not just the Old Testament, but all the way to the end of the Bible. I want to note several highlights, or highlight several passages, and maybe you'll take note of them if there's a particular one that sticks out to you. But uh, for instance, I'm going to begin with Genesis. Now, we know that God was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their journeys and establishing the people of Israel. Uh, but it became an, an, a special characteristic in the J- Joseph story in the book of Genesis. When Joseph begins to go through all of his hardships, one thing after another, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused, then being in prison, the, the, the refrain that echoes is that, but God was with him. This bad thing happened to him, but the Lord was with him. <clears throat> so in Genesis 39, 3, it says, uh, Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him, and as a result, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Again in chapter 29, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Even in the book of Acts, when Stephen is retelling the Old Testament story, when he mentions the Joseph story, he got and picked up on the key theme of Joseph's story and repeats it. He says, The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. He picked up on that when he read the book of Genesis. When we go to Joshua, Joshua who leads the people of Israel after Moses, God said to him, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And that made all the difference. In the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord appears to a man named Gideon, tells him he calls him a mighty warrior and says he's going to do something great. But Gideon thinks, I'm from the weakest family and the weakest clan. How can I do that? God's response to him, how is it that you can do this? But I will be with you. The same words he says to Moses, this is all you need, and you'll strike down the Midians as one man. In Samuel, what made Samuel the great prophet that he was? 1 Samuel 3.19 says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. Let none of his words fall to the ground. What made David a great king? In 2 Samuel 5.10, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. How about Solomon, who builds the temple and has the great experience of God's presence entering the temple? What made him great? Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord, his God, was with him, made him exceedingly great. Let's think again about the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is given a really hard task. He's supposed to go tell the people of Judah, one, to repent of their sins and to submit to the Babylonians. No one's going to like Jeremiah, and they don't. But he's obedient to the calling, and how's he able to do this? Jeremiah 1.19 says, They will fight against you, Jeremiah. They shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. And then when God speaks to his people in general, 
through the prophets. He gives them the same message. It's not just for special people. It's for all his people. In Isaiah 43, 2, he says to his people, Israel, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. But through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Or again, in Isaiah 41, 10, this is one worth memorizing. One worth writing on your mirror in a dry erase marker or lipstick or whatever you use. I don't use lipstick, but write it. But you write it on your mirror where the Lord says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Pause for a second. Because when you read something like that, it seems almost too good to be true, doesn't it? It's hard for some of us to think of God being so willing to help. We tend to think of God as being sort of reluctant to help. You know, and I got to do something to sort of twist God's arm or talk him into it and, you know, or plead for God to want to help me. But when you hear the words of this passage, doesn't it sound like God is eager to help you? Don't be afraid. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. And then I love this one. This is in a minor prophet in the book of Haggai. This is after the people of Judah have returned from Babylonian exile. And God's telling them to rebuild the temple. And the prophet Haggai has one message for them. One message that God has. And the sum of it is this one statement. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. This, that, that passage actually summarizes what I want to say this morning. <clears throat> I can only hope to be God's messenger But I do believe the Lord's message, and it's the message that is proclaimed broadly and powerfully in the Christmas story. I am with you, declares the Lord. We move to the New Testament. We begin with Jesus. God was even with Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38 when it talks about Jesus, it summarizes his ministry this way. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. We've got the, the Trinity right there in the one line. God the Father anoints Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. <clears throat> and that creates some continuity between the thing that the human Jesus is doing with all the things that like David and Solomon and Moses and them have done. They're a part of this work where God is with people to make things happen. And God is at work in his son, Jesus. In Matthew 1.23, we're told that Jesus' coming is, in fact, God's way of coming to be with us in a special way. Not just sending someone like Moses, but sending his own son, sending the one who embodies himself. Matthew 1.23 quotes Isaiah with reference to Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is in the first chapter of Matthew. The very last verse of Matthew has Jesus saying to his disciples, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the, the idea of God's presence with his people actually functions as kind of a bookend for the book of Matthew. God with us, Jesus, I am with you to the end. And you might think, well, 
in what way is Jesus with us? Because then he ascended, he left um, in physical form. But John, Jesus had told his disciples beforehand that he would not leave them as orphans. In fact, in John chapter six, 14, it says this. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This assures us that even now, God is with his people in a powerful way. But when we look to the future, to the end of the book of, to the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation, and get a vision of what life will be in the future when God consummates history, we see this picture. Revelation 21 has John seeing this vision. I saw a new heaven, a new earth. First heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now listen how this, this uh, reality is described. What characterizes it? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, like he has to say it twice in case you missed it. He's going to be with them. God will dwell with them. He'll be with them as their God. And what will he do? He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So let's back up just a moment. The same pattern that we saw in the Exodus passage is, fa- is also true in what God did in Jesus God has seen the affliction of the world. God has heard our cries. God knows our suffering. And so he has come. He has sent Jesus, his very own presence, to be God with us. And then he sends the Spirit to be with us now and forever. Even amidst God sends the Spirit to be with us now in the same way that God sent Jesus to be with us then, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship and death, where there is still suffering and struggle. But when you look at the passage in Revelation, notice that at at that point when God is with us, all that stuff is removed. All that stuff's taken away. No more death. No more massacres. No more death of the holy innocents. No more evil or pain. And that becomes our great hope. What does hope do to us? (laughs) In some ways, Brian gave the sermon in a nutshell in the introductory uh, story. Hope re-energizes us in the present to live out the the coming reality. And not just the coming reality, hope re-energizes us in the present to live out the reality of God being with us. What I have hoped in this Um, in preparing this is that you would and all of us would let our hearts revive if you're discouraged about life if you're discouraged about the year if you have trouble making an emotional connection with god anyone feel that way 
that uh, maybe you, you meet other people who seem to have a really strong emotional bond with God, that God's presence seems real to them, but maybe to you, it just you feel more God's absence in your life than presence. And so uh, how do you push forward? How, how do you push forward with hope? Uh, I can relate uh, to that some, and I think it boils down to trusting in the Word of God and say, even though I don't feel that God is with me, these, this theme, which is all throughout the Bible about God being with his people, it's like it's either true or it's not. And if it's not true, then none of us have any hope. <clears throat> We're going to destroy ourselves and our world. And then if it is true, it's probably true in a way that I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. My lack of emotional connection doesn't change the reality that God has said he is with us and he has shown that he's with us and he sent himself, his son and his spirit to be with us. And so when I struggle to make the emotional connection, all I can do is orient myself around the truth and tell the truth to yourself. God is with us and he is with us to forgive, to bring forgiveness, to bring renewal, to bring comfort and healing And since we become like the people who are around us, that is the people who are with us, do we not? God is with us also to change us, to conform us into his image. And his image is a liberating image. It's a life-giving image. And it causes us to be people who can reflect hope into the world. People who have hope are powerful people. People who have hope are dangerous people to the principalities and powers that rule the world. Because people who have hope act differently than people who don't. Uh, To be people who can reflect the grace and truth of God into every area of life. And when that happens, the kingdom is coming. God's will is being done in our homes and in our communities. Um, Think about the power of God's presence for a moment. Uh, how, how often are ever, have you ever had an experience where uh, the simple presence of someone that you know and trust has made a massive difference in your life? You're going through something difficult or confusing or hard, and just to have someone with you who you know loves you, doesn't that mean everything to you? Isn't that often the thing that gives you comfort and courage to face the days ahead? Hasn't that often been the thing that gives you, the, gives you peace, enables you to face your fears? <clears throat> I can uh, remember uh, many times at night when putting our children to bed, and uh, sometimes they get afraid and they want us to stay with them. <clears throat> if you have small children, you can relate to this, right? Uh, and you'll tell them the truth. You know, there is nothing to be afraid of. You know, there's nothing to be worried about. Or the thing you're worried about is not real or it's not going to happen. I can remember when uh, my oldest daughter, Abigail, was small. And uh, she was wanting me to stay in the bedroom uh, with her. And I'm trying to wrap things up and kind of move on out. And she keeps wanting me to stay. And I say, there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm telling her the truth. But she said back to me, I only feel better when you're with me. I only feel better when you're with me. I had told her the truth, but what she needed was my presence. And when she said that to me, actually, uh, this was several years ago. She was maybe four or five. 
almost immediately there was an echo in my heart to God when she said it. I was like, God, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I think. That's what I feel too. I only feel better when you're with me, when I have a sense of you being with me. I can make it through all the hard stuff if I know that. But if I don't know that, I'm lost. I'll screw things up. I will mess things up big time. Things will fall apart. God help me. But God is not a God who just gives us the truth. Nothing to be afraid of. Don't fear. He gives us the truth and his presence. I am with you. So Christmas proclaims to us, and don't forget it. Don't escape it, uh, this truth. Don't fail to take the time to think about appropriating this to your life. What does it mean that God is with us? And maybe you just need to be reminded this morning, I hope, that God is with you. Let's pray together. It seems an unbelievable story, God. We don't know of stories like this from our traditions, from various religious ideas, from the myths of the past. There is no God like you who empties himself and comes to be with us, who takes up our sin and our griefs and bears them on the cross in your own life and death, who suffers in our place, who defeats our ultimate enemies of death and destruction who proclaims liberty, freedom, and life anew. Would you please refresh your people this morning with a sense of your presence, with the truth of Christmas, that in the midst of a chaotic world, suffering and hardship, we can make it, we can persevere, because and only because you are with us. Please bring it home to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.